Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is October the 8th, 2023. It's been 3,512 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 227 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. You can use our Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed, and there is a link in the podcast description. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mail bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth, because the truth matters. I also want to add that the entire team at Malcontent News stands behind the people of Israel after Iranian-backed Hamas militants attacked multiple cities, killing hundreds, wounding thousands, and leaving over 750 people missing. Let's start with the daily assessment. We maintain that the soft response by Ukraine's allies after Russian aggression on Ukraine's border will eventually lead to a significant incident that could result in military intervention. Our assessment that Russian forces will increase their attacks theater-wide in an attempt to exhaust Ukrainian resources before a resolution on continued United States aid is reached remains accurate, with Russia launching more than 50 attacks during the day. We maintain that the removal of the United States Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, has put the ongoing Ukrainian offensive at extreme risk. We further assess that the abrupt ending of U.S. military aid will be catastrophic if a resolution is not reached within the next 19 to 26 days. Western partners are not meeting their promised military training, heavy equipment and ammunition delivery dates, and while Ukrainian military leaders are not blameless, these continued delays are negatively impacting Ukraine's military capabilities. The inability of Russian military leaders to stop the ongoing Ukrainian offensive and retake the battlefield initiative has put significant pressure on Russian chief of staff Valery Gerasimov, who has been in charge of all Russian forces in Ukraine since January 2023. We do not believe that Russian forces will withdraw from Tokmak to conserve available combat potential for future offensives or the defense of the rear areas of Zaporizhia and Kherson. Today is the last day we will include these two points in our assessment. Finally, Russia is actively targeting Ukraine's energy infrastructure, and while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. Today's action report starts in Kharkiv. 
In the Kupiansk Operational Area, AO, Russian forces continued significant combat operations northeast and east of Kupiansk. The Russian attacks involved mostly light infantry and were in the areas of Liman Pershy, Sinkivka and Ivanivka. Russian troops have suffered heavy losses while making no gains. We maintain our assessment that these are spoiling attacks meant to lock Ukrainian forces in place and force the transfer of reserves into the AO. Let's talk about the situation in the Donbass, starting in Luhansk. In the Svatova AO, Russian forces continued large-scale attacks east and northeast of Makiivka. After making marginal gains the last two days, Ukrainian forces were able to stop the advance. Further south, in the Kremina AO, the Russian Ministry of Defense, Armod, reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive near Dubrova. Following the line of conflict to northeastern Donetsk, the situation remains unchanged in the Klishchivka AO. Heavy fighting continued east of Klishchivka and Andreevka and north of Kurdumivka. Ukrainian forces continue to interdict Russian supplies on the T513 highway ground line of communication, GLOC, that's a supply line, and near Zaitseva and Kodema. In southwestern Donetsk, Russian forces made tactical gains near Avdiivka. On the western edge of the Krasnogorivka plateau, Russian troops advanced through tree lines in the direction of Stepove. They have not reached the railroad grade, reaching the 200-meter heights. Russian attempts to advance in the direction of Avdiivka from Opetne were unsuccessful, as was an attempt to regain lost positions near Pervomaiska. Armod claimed that Ukrainian forces attempted to advance through the no-man's land between Severne and Vodyane. Further south, in the Marinka AO, fighting continued east of Krasnohorivka and in Marinka. There was no change in the situation. In the October 7 situation report, we confirmed that Russian forces had made tactical gains east of Krasnohorivka, the one by Marinka. In the Vuhledar AO, Russian forces continued their attempts to advance on Novomikhailivka from the east, suffered losses and retreated to their established defensive positions. Supported by the Russian Aerospace Forces, VKS, Russian troops continued efforts to advance in the direction of Vodyane, the one near Vogledar, from Makilske. A reminder that there is a link to our war map in the podcast description, and it is a great resource for finding both Krasnohorivkas and both Vodyanes in the Donetsk Oblast. Russian forces also remained active in the Staromlinivka AO. Efforts to advance in the direction of Zolotaniva from Novodonetsk continued, as did fighting near Priyutne. Quick assessment. All of the new attacks from Kupiansk to Staromlinivka are meant to increase Ukrainian ammunition consumption due to military aid from the United States remaining frozen. In Zaporizhia, Brigadier General Oleksandr Tarnavsky, commander of the Operational Strategic Group of Troops Tavria, 
reported that Ukrainian forces carried out 1,265 fire missions, maintaining a high operational tempo. In the Huleipola AO, Russian forces launched a major attack in Marfopil, using up to two companies of mostly light infantry. While they were able to advance 200 to 300 meters further north, Russian troops suffered heavy losses. The situation in the Orikhiv AO remains highly dynamic. Heavy fighting continued from the western edges of Verbove along the Surovikin line, the northern and eastern edges of Novoprokopivka, and the western edge of Robotene. Russian forces launched 22 separate counterattacks, and the VKS carried out 14 airstrikes. A picture of three Russian POWs was shared, suggesting that Ukrainian forces have made a small advance. Ukrainian forces made marginal gains north of Kopani, where fighting on the west flank of the Orikhiv salient continued. In occupied Zaporizhia, an ammunition depot for the Russian 56th Regiment was destroyed by rockets fired by HIMARS. We link to the video in our daily situation report. Information on how to become a subscriber is in the podcast description. It's time to talk about the Black Sea, including the countries of Romania and Bulgaria, occupied Crimea and the Mykolaiv and Odessa regions. In occupied Crimea, Russian air defenses in Sevastopol were active, and the Kerch-Crimean bridge was closed, with occupation officials claiming the closure was weather-related. Ukrainian forces fired two modified S-200 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack at the Russian logistic hub in Jankoy. Armod claimed that both missiles were intercepted, but pictures showed a large fire erupted after the attack. Now to Kherson, where Russian forces continued to shell and bomb the right bank of the Dnipro River. Kherson Oblast administrative and military governor Oleksandr Prokudin said Russia carried out 59 fire missions on Free Kherson, firing 402 munitions, rockets, drone-delivered IEDs and bombs, wounding three. On the night of October 7-8, the city of Kherson was heavily shelled for hours, with civilians and civilian infrastructure targeted. At the time of publication, 13 were injured, with 7 in hospital. One of the wounded is an employee of the Red Cross who suffered critical injuries. Prokudin called it, quote, a terrible night, unquote, and reported there were additional wounded. The settlement of Stanislav was also shelled by Grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems. An occupied Kherson, Russian collaborator Vladimir Malov was killed by a car bomb in Novakakhovka. Crimean Tatar insurgent organization Atesh claimed responsibility for the attack. Now let's talk about theater-wide events. If you are wondering where the Russian drone strikes are, so are we. The seventh was the second day in a row without a Shahid-136 kamikaze drone strike. In our assessment, with the Rammstein Working Group meeting scheduled for October the 11th, 
there is a significant probability of a large missile or drone attack on Ukraine between October 10 and the 12th. The Minister of Energy of Ukraine, Herman Halushchenko, advised residents they should take steps to be self-sufficient this coming winter. Quote, Buy generators. Check that they are in working condition. If there is an opportunity to strengthen autonomous functioning, do it. And we, together with our air defense forces, will do everything so that you do not need this equipment. Unquote. What's happening in Russia? It's time for Mobix, Mobilization and Mir. Russian male blogger and soldier in the 2nd Army Corps Andrei Morozov wrote about the situation in Luhansk region, ammunition shortages, changing Ukrainian tactics and the quality of fresh Mobix. Murs is not known for brevity, but the editors felt this was important to share as doom posts of Murs are typically accurate. Quote, the situation everywhere is consistently difficult. Where there are active battles and where reserves are concentrated, it is difficult due to the fact that the enemy is actively pressing there. Where reserves have been removed, the enemy also guesses about this and puts pressure to the best of his ability on weekend areas. The enemy has a constant flow of armored personnel and manpower. There is a process for preserving personnel that allows you not to lose the quality of troop control in the event of significant losses. So talk about, quote, Ukrainians running out of steam, unquote, is completely groundless for now. In my opinion, everyone is clearly aware of the shell famine of the Russian armed forces. As long as the Russian armed forces have some reserves, it is possible to restrain the enemy's advance and localize it. When there are no reserves because there is no mobilization, it will be very unpleasant. Where and how it will be possible to stop breakthroughs or sharp pressures on the front is a matter of the last battalion. A quick sidebar. When Moore's wrote matter of the last battalion, what he's carefully saying is which combatant runs out of combat potential first. Back to Moore's. The quality of a significant part of the volunteers, thanks to whom it supposedly will be possible to do without mobilization, was described to me. I was in the village the other day. There were two drunks there. I hired them once to dig a hole in the ground, one and a half meters by two, depth two meters. We dug for four days. They dig for ten minutes and rest for two hours. They went for the contract into stormtroopers. Murs goes on to add, the situation is dire and will worsen in the foreseeable future. Unquote. Quick assessment. Murs chose his words carefully, as he has come under repeated investigation for discrediting the Russian armed forces. Reading between the lines, his comments about troop control imply that Russia is still using human wave attacks and exhausting combat potential in the process. Multiple Russian male bloggers reported that the 205th Brigade, which was stationed on the left bank of the Dnipro River in occupied Kherson, was withdrawn to Crimea. The unit suffered from a series of very public scandals, including one of their officers defecting over the summer, dozens captured, and waves of soldiers rioting due to poor command, a lack of equipment and material, 
and heavy losses. Russian forces are taking a page from Ukrainian tactics and have upped their decoy game. The quality of decoy weapons has improved, and fake fire bases are now stuffed by convincingly good dummies equipped with helmets, uniforms, and plate receivers. While from the ground the department store mannequins are obvious, for a drone operator only thermal imaging or extended observation will show that dummies stuff the site. Nope, I'm not going there. The joke is too obvious. United States news agency CBS, citing an unnamed U.S. official, claimed that North Korea had provided limited ammunition supplies to Russia. While we typically don't report on single-source claims and don't like anonymous sources, CBS has a very strong editorial policy and a good track record. We are sharing the claim as we believe it has weight. On May the 25th, former private military company Wagner leader Evgeny Prigozhin introduced the world to Bieber and Dolik in Bakhmut. He declared the pair would monitor the situation in the city as his proxies and went on to try to overthrow the Russian government a month later. Over the summer, during intense counterattacks by Ukrainian forces north of Bakhmut, Bieber joined Prigozhin at the tea party for the recently deceased. On October 5th, Dolik received an exclusive state award for meritorious service to PMC Wagner. Included in his retirement package was an exclusive plot of land, about 3 meters by 1 meter, with a lovely stone marker for his address, and a two-meter-deep, zinc-lined, reinforced basement. While other veterans surround him in the exclusive neighborhood, the area could be called deathly quiet. The circumstances of Dolik's permanent retirement and reunion with Prigozhin and Bieber were not shared. In Melitopol, partisans sold poisoned moonshine to Russian soldiers, with 11 reportedly killed and two in critical condition. Aspiring dentist and Colonel General Ramzan Dondon Kadyrov awarded his 15-year-old son Adam the title of Hero of Chechnya for the beating of Nikita Zhuravel in a Grozny pre-trial detention center. Zhuravel is in custody for burning a Koran and insulting Islam. The attack caused widespread outrage among Russian Orthodox Christians, nationalists and Russian neo-Nazis, who said it challenged the rule of law. Despite the fallout, Kadyrov has doubled down, honoring his son with a state award. President of Russia Vladimir Putin claimed that there was a successful test flight of the nuclear-powered Skyfall cruise missile, which Russia claims is hypersonic and has a near-unlimited range and flight time. Although it may travel at speeds over Mach 5, that is not the definition of a hypersonic weapon. Further, due to its nuclear power source, Skyfall would leave a visible trace of radioactive particles behind its flight path. Nothing was detected by monitoring stations, indicating the claim was false. And that's what we know. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, 
please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.